and welcome to SNL After Party. As this is our December recap episode where we talk about what's going on with the show, how it uh, handled the month of December, and where we stand as we go into the year 2020. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, your recapper, and I'm joined here by the delightful, as always, Miss Joni Newman. Hey, Mario. It's me, Joni. Uh, how are you? Wait a minute. Who are you? It's Joni. I'm just a little sick. My voice is a little bit off. <laughs> All right. For those of you who don't know, my co-host, the delightful and charming Joni Newman, has a very bad case of laryngitis, and we held off as long as we could to try to see if we could hold off and get her onto the podcast. Her throat is still not 100% back to form, so instead of the delightful Joni Newman, I brought on my friend, the slightly less delightful Michael Feeney. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, uh, I am starting off in a kind of a bad mood because I was looking forward all month to the Mario Joni podcast and now non-existent. Now I have to uh, I have to sit with my own opinions every day with myself. And now I have to have it on record. OK, I don't know. Well, I can, we could just CGI Joni in here later. We're going to this is like the uh, the normal version of the podcast. And we'll do a director's cut, a CGI version later where I insert her in over you. So just you're mostly a filler this month. OK. Something to look forward to. Thank you. Yes. So, yeah, get well soon, Joni. We miss you. All right. Um, before we get into December, and we have three episodes here, and I will, uh, people will be pleased to know I am actually fairly high on these three episodes. I know the Mr. Salty here is not going to be super salty, but let's get into my co-host here, Mike. Um, the reason I brought Mike on, and I'd like you to talk about this for a second, Mike, you just started watching SNL regularly fairly recently, if I recall, but you just did an entire marathon where you watched like every episode from the 70s up until today. Is that correct? Partially correct. I've been watching full episodes for about 10 years now. Um, it was a big, big deal in high school, the Hater Sandberg thing. I, well, at the end of high school, I graduated in 05. Hater Sandberg were just beginning and all the viral videos. Um, the 90s stars for me, like the Wayne's World, all that. Like I knew them from outside of SNL. I was just a kid. I, they were stars to me, Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, but I didn't know them from SNL. And then about 2010, I decided to get into it. And then, yeah, for up until, say, spring of 2018, the spring of 2019, I just binged it all. I did have the fast forward button at the ready. Otherwise, I'd still be sitting there watching them. <laughs> okay. And our, our audience was dying to know, as someone who just recently went through the entire catalog of SNL, what were your favorite eras? If you can kind of keep it brief, like what stood out to you as being especially good in SNL and especially weak? Uh, favorite eras for sure. Uh, 86, which is like the Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman joining to 91 about when Dennis Miller left. I was a big Dennis Miller fan on the show. And then I'd say 96 to 99, the Wolf Ferrell era. Um, and then I'd say 05 when Sandberg Hayter joined up until maybe 2012-ish. And weak, um, probably... 2000 to about 2005, I just, the Tina Fey stuff, mm -hmm. as head writer, not for me. I just, I zoned out. Wow. Fast forward was readily used then. I found the other person who doesn't like the Tina Fey era. Welcome. You'll, you'll fit in really well here. <laughs> now, what do you think of the current era, like 2015 through 19? I'm curious. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I remember cast as well as you, like who leaves and when. Like, I, I, 2015, that was, I guess the 40, yeah. So mm -hmm. probably the current about the current cast, uh, Beck and Kyle were joining, um, has good episodes here and there overall. I don't know. I don't know if it's cause I'm getting older and some of the casts are about my age. Maybe, you know, they have hit or miss. A lot of times it can be missed for me. Uh, I do. I, I watch it. I watch it weekly. I don't, I've never seen an episode live. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> there's just, there's enough where I, I fast forward through it or I, I give, I give every sketch a chance. And then I just, you know, if it's not working for me, I just, move on um they have some talent they just i don't know how if they know how to utilize all of them okay i am i just i'm doing my best impression here of an, an attorney in a courtroom doing voir dire here on my new witness this is like my cousin Vinny, and you are just mona lisa Vito. you just went on the stand so i'm just proving to our audience that you have some street cred that you know what you're talking about good <laughs> even though you're not Joni. I'll do my best. All right. So here we go. December, the recap of SNL, three episodes, Jennifer Lopez, Scarlett Johansson, and Eddie Murphy, the all-famous Eddie Murphy, the, I believe I just saw, had the highest ratings of any episode in like 11 years, which I was not surprised. And I will uh, start this recap the same way I start everyone when the delightful Joni, who's not you, is here. <laughs> Mike, December, how they doing? How'd they do? Okay, for the most part. You know, it's it was pretty... Compared to other months, I'd, I'd 
pretty put it pretty even. Eddie Murphy is definitely a big help. Just his presence, seeing him on stage was a sight to be seen again. It was just in the past year I watched all of his seasons. He's definitely like in my top, like he would be in my all-star cast for sure, yeah. as I'm sure he would most. He and Joe Piscopo, to me, carried those seasons, um, him more so than Piscopo. I love Piscopo. I love Piscopo. I'm glad you brought him up. <laughs> I would pick him over Hartman. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. You're going to get me kicked off the air. You can't be saying stuff like that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow, hot take from Mike Feeney. So this is Mike's last week on SNL After Party. <laughs> <laughs> First and last, yes. Okay, so my personal opinion is I thought the December episodes were very strong. And I will add a little asterisk to that because people are not used to hearing me heap praise on the current state of the show. I thought the three episodes of December were especially strong, much to my surprise, because I didn't think they were really able would be able to pull off three strong episodes. But I will be the first one to admit, I like the Jennifer Lopez episode. I really like the Scarlett Johansson episode and the Eddie Murphy episode. I was so happy it wasn't a disaster that I really have a hard time really thinking what I thought about it. So let's we'll go into that at the end of the podcast here. But those, those are my thoughts. I, yeah, I, I mine are probably probably pretty similar. You know, I, I enjoy I enjoyed the episodes for the most part. I do have my nitpicks as always. Okay, well let's go into that. That's what we do. We pick nits here on uh, SNL After Party. Let's talk about the Jennifer Lopez episode, and we're not going to go sketch by sketch. I know last last month we did an entire hour forty podcast where we went through every single sketch, which was possibly a little overkill. So we'll do a little summary. Like what worked about the Jennifer Lopez? What didn't work about the Jennifer Lopez? Let's let's start with the positive. Jennifer Lopez, what in this episode worked for you? Let's see. Going through the sketches, uh, I think I, I could probably pick out good things and bad things about all every sketch. Mm -hmm. There was the what is going on in that house sketch, which I wasn't a fan of, but I did laugh at the line from A.D. Bryant. Men hate that, and even I hate that a little bit, implying that she's attracted to uh, the J.Lo. <laughs> That made me chuckle. And um, the the the, op the cold opening, uh, you know, another political cold opening. I, it was different. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'll give it that. It had a lot of cameos. Um, the audience was clapping right away. This, is the, even this is the NATO cafeteria, correct? For our listeners. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Uh, audience clapped, clapping right away for Heidi and Chloe without them even doing anything, which is just weird. I'm, I'm kind of over the audience clapping. I feel like they're held at gunpoint. Um, and I did like the twist ending of it uh, with with uh, Lady Borat coming out. Be best. <laughs> wow. I'm very excited. We have a Borat reference already. I'm glad I brought you on. <laughs> OK, my take on the Jennifer Lopez is I thought this episode started very strong which is astounding that SNL episodes can start off strong this, these days with these cold opens. But the, the NATO cafeteria, I didn't love, but I love that they actually tried something different for a change. Like it was different than the normal cold openings. They actually like, here's the idea. Let's do something with it. So I, I praised the effort on that. Exactly. And again, the ending was kind of a twist, you know, but it was all commercial from Trump. <laughs> yes. My wife. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that took me by surprise in a, in a good way. That's not good for me. <laughs> so I thought the Jennifer Lopez episode started strong. You had that. You had uh, like the monologue, whatever. I didn't really care about that one way or another. But like the Matt Chat and the Smurf collector. I know that's a repeat. And I know they did that basically that exact same sketch with uh, Margot Robbie. But I don't care because I just really think that's a funny idea. And I love just Mikey Day. I love the way he writes those sketches. And I love Keenan reacting to stuff. So personally, even though that was kind of a retread, I thought that was a strong sketch and it really made me laugh. And I've shown it to my kids and other people and they all they all think that was a funny sketch, too. So I, I, I stand behind that one. I think this was a strong opening for that show. Yeah, that sketch was OK for me. I've been watching Keenan since he was a child uh -huh. and it's kind of been the, the same thing for me since, you know, for 25 years with Keenan. <laughs> Uh, he was on All That, which is like, it's, if you're familiar or not, it's a sketch comedy show for children in the 90s, Nickelodeon. And it's just kind of kind of the same. I will I will say Keenan's, you know, strong anchor. Um, he's always reliable, yeah. for sure. He makes that stuff work. Even in Good Burger. Did you ever see Good Burger? Are you a Good Burger fan? I just can't say I'm a fan, but I, I've... I've my eyes have looked at it, yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, even though you're not a Smurf guy like Matt Chat, you're fine with that sketch. Then after that, you had Chad and J-Lo, which, now, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I've, 
not been shy about sharing my opinion that I have no idea why Pete Davidson is still on SNL. But his one character that will always win me over is Chad, and this one was no exception. I love this sketch, and this is why I'm proud to say, like, even though I think this episode craters after the beginning, I th don't think it's actually overall that strong. You have a lot of momentum at the start, and I think this Chad and, and J-Lo might be the highlight of this episode. Highlight of the episode, okay. Uh, I'd, I'd say it's probably the best thing Pete Davidson does is Chad. I can't say I'm a huge fan. Uh, J-Lo, I think this is her third time hosting. Given all the, given all the errors, I was looking at the episode she was on. She's not. She's been with some interesting people. She's if if God's Will Ferrell and Jesus is Bill Hader. Now we have the Holy Ghost and Pete Davidson. She's worked with. <laughs> wow. It's like the Holy Trinity. It's amazing. It's basically the Holy Trinity. Yes. And it works because he looks like a ghost half the time when he's walking around. <laughs> uh, I, I won't make any jokes about that. But yeah. So so, do you agree? Like, do you, did you think this episode started strong? Do you agree with me? Yes, for the most okay. part. Now, personally, I think this episode kind of craters after that, and it goes downhill, and there's not a lot of highlights in the second half. But this is my argument that I always make, is that if an episode can start off with momentum, that it really doesn't even matter if it tails off at the end because everyone's still in a good mood for the first half hour. And that's why I give a thumbs up to the Jennifer Lopez episode, even though I don't think most of the stuff in the second half works all that well. I would agree with that. It's like you remember, it's a, with a good start, for sure. That helps. Yeah, the one the one thing that I really think does stand out at the end of this, something good and something bad. The thing that's good is the uh, potty PM, the Kyle Mooney trying to explain female genitalia. <laughs> I, I love that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was great because it starts off in one direction and then it does, a, it does a little 90 degree turn at a certain point. And then it becomes Kyle doesn't know how the female genital system works. How many holes does the girls have again? I don't know, seven, eight. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's, that was my favorite line. Yeah, that was great. That was that was really solid. And that kind of comes at the end of the episode. Now, unfortunately, there were a, bu a bunch of clunkers, in my opinion, in the middle of the episode. Like I know you talked about the one, the the, the corporal, the black and white one with the Kate and Eighty showcase, which I that didn't do anything for me at all. Like uh, it was just one, yeah, just the one line. Otherwise, I, I hated it. And then we have this Wisconsin women, which oh my god, did that not work? Do you even remember what oh. sketch that is? I'm afraid I stunned you. The bear sketch? The bear sketch. Oh, yeah. I think the highlight was Chloe Feynman's Kimmy <laughs> as just like the, the, the keeper in the basement bring her out every once in a while. That, you know, when she loses her hair. I think that was the highlight and that wasn't that great. And the, the camera was off for one of the shots. I know you've complained about that in the past. Like they're like they'll be focusing on the wrong actors. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to hear any argument that Chloe wasn't the highlight of that sketch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would too for a laugh but yeah that whole that whole second half of this episode i think was fairly weak but again they had enough momentum in the first half they built some goodwill uh you have jost and che who i think did a solid job although oh, I, there's one or two two more things in this episode i want to get your thoughts on before we move on to the scarlet one the first is jules who sees things a little differently i thought i heard in the grapevine that you like jules are you a jules fan Absolutely not. My, okay. I, I, I actually took a note. I don't really take a lot of notes, but I did take a note on that. All I put was, I hate Jules who sees things a little differently. So you don't see things differently than me because I hate Jules too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand what it is. I don't understand what the character is. Douchebag? <laughs> well, he sees things a little differently, Mike. I see a douchebag. That's all I see. <laughs> okay. but yeah, I, like I don't really get him. The other thing that I think a lot of people talked about in the second half of this episode, it didn't do much for me, but it might do stuff for other people. And that's that Hoops sketch with J-Lo and uh, Melissa. What did you think of Hoops? Oh, I love Melissa Villasenor. It's my future wife you're talking about here. It'll be nice. Do you, you have a dry sense of humor. Are you being sarcastic or not? No. You love Melissa. Okay. You see, most of the internet agrees with you. Most people are huge Melissa fans out there. I don't think she's the funniest you know, person in the room. Um, I do think... She's a better actress than you give her credit for, probably. Well, now you're you're singling me out. What, what did I do to you? I we've talked about this before. I don't <laughs> want to go into that. You know, it's just and, and you made a comment. I, you, I don't think you th think she's very strong. Yes. Okay. I think she could. Do, I think she could do serious acting if she put her mind to it. That's all. Oh, I would agree with that. I think she probably could. And there's there's lots of venues I think Melissa would be really good at. I just do not think SNL is going to be the one personally. Yeah. In terms of the hoop sketch, all it was was just her doing an impression. It's not really much of a sketch. I, don't, I didn't really have much of an opinion on it one way or the other. Okay. So this seems like the, we have the basic same idea on this episode. It started off pretty strong. 
And then it kind of tailed off at the end with the exception of potty PM, which we both enjoyed because neither one of us knows how many holes a woman has on her. <laughs> exactly. I really wish Joni were here to answer this for us because we don't, these are unanswered questions with guys. We'll put that in the, in the uh, director's cut. Yes. <laughs> CGI that in. Make sure you have me answering because <laughs> I want to seem smart. Okay. So that's our wrap up of JLo, which again, I will give a thumbs up. It's a tentative thumbs up, but it is still a thumbs up just because it started strong. And most episodes in this era do not start strong. So I got to give him credit for that. Fair enough. And now we come to the Scarlett Johansson episode, which I personally think is not only the best of these three episodes, I personally think it might be the best episode of the season. What, what, what do you say to that? I don't know if I could say that yet. Um, I'd have to really go back and look at the old episodes. I think you have a better memory of sketches <laughs> just offhand than I do. Well, yeah. One thing that helps with me is like um, at Christmas, my daughter comes home for college. My daughter's up in Seattle. She flies home and I save all my favorite SNL sketches of the season for her. So I literally just watched a bunch of sketches like yesterday, and I, of course, remember all these Scarlett Johansson ones because I showed these all to my daughter, and she was like, yeah, those are all pretty good. So I remember all these just because they're very fresh in my head. Okay. Yeah, we'll kind of go through this one a little more in detail than Jennifer Lopez, just because I, I specifically want to point out to people that this was a strong episode. Okay. Even though your future wife, Melissa, is not featured heavily in it. Yeah, I, I, I am aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we start off this one with the American households, where you have the right-wing family in Atlanta and the, no, in, in South Carolina, the left-wing family in San Francisco, and the black family in Atlanta, all talking about current events and politics simultaneously. Definitely a creative idea for a political year, yeah. for sure. My personal favorite cold open of the year, I believe it's going to be hard to top, just because it was very creative, it was very well-written, it was funny, there was a lot of sly, subtle jokes in there, you had Keenan stealing the show, I mean, it really kind of appeals to everybody. Again, my personal favorite cold opening of the year, and it was not a surprise to me that the episode, again, started very strong because of that, because they actually started well. Right. I love the idea of the three different families and the different takes. It did make me hate every single person in America. <laughs> Wait, even the people that want to see Bad Boys 3? Yes. Even people that agree with me politically as well. <laughs> so, but so we had this sketch, which I thought was fantastic. And that seemed to be the consensus. Almost everybody, when I was watching Twitter, like, man, this is actually funny. I can't believe this cold opening is funny. And then we cap it with A.D. Bryant playing the snowman. And then uh, Kate as uh, Greta, the little activist. <laughs> yes, I didn't. I didn't care for the Greta. I mean, it made sense, uh, but the, the Greta thing at the end was kind of grating <laughs> a little bit to me. But I, I like the I like the twist at the end where ultimately AD as the snowman explains that uh, they live in states that don't matter, so none of this matters. <laughs> that's anyway. the thing. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a valid SNL point. They actually made a good point. Although I do yes. have to point out, just the comedian and the comedy writer in me has to love Greta's line. Uh, Trump, if you come at me again, I will come at you like a straw, a plastic straw comes out of sea turtle. <laughs> that, that is a great line. I love whoever wrote that line. I tip my cap to you on that one. I think I missed that line. I'll have to go back and watch it. <laughs> okay, well, so that's then we have that, and then we go from the the American families into the uh, the monologue, which again, I I really don't count the monologues when I recap an episode, but this one had a lot of really funny, subtle jokes in there where, you know, Thanos and Pete is making everybody disappear. And I love the one about Bowen. It's like, oh, yeah, make the first Asian guy disappear. Twitter's going to eat you alive. I did enjoy that. I, I have a, like Jules, I look at this a little bit differently. <laughs> you douchebag. <laughs> Time will tell. We'll see. But, like, who knew that it would take Thanos and Pete Davidson to make most of the cast disappear? Sometimes I wish that would be true. <laughs> but basically, the, the monologue to me with, like, the Bowen thing, not him specifically, but it kind of called out, like, some not issues, but it was almost pointing out problems yeah. like, like Mikey and Alex are the same damn thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Beck, who's going to play the dumb idiot. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, this is one of those weeks where Pete doesn't show up. It's like, it felt like a frustrated cast member wrote this monologue. Yeah. It was very interesting because they have started doing that. And they started with the Harry Styles episode where Harry's like, and that's why SNL's not good anymore. Like, they've actually started to lean into that criticism a little bit where they start pointing out some of the flaws that people mention. Although, it's odd that they don't point out that people hate all the cameos and all the applause breaks with uh, uh, Alec Baldwin showing up. So it's interesting they don't mention that. But yeah, it's, this monologue was very meta, which I thought was very interesting. Interesting, yes. I didn't, you know, it, it left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, and I don't really know why. Hmm. But at least it was different. Okay. 
So now we go into what I think was maybe the strongest sketch of the year so far. It's going to be got to be up there. This Macy's th- uh, Christmas ad for little kids clothing. You'd say that's the strongest. I believe I'm going to I'm going to go on a limb here. This is the hill I'm dying on. This might be the strongest thing they've done on SNL this year. It's either that or Grouch or that uh, action news with the white and black anchors arguing over the race of the perpetrators. I got to go. I'd go with Grouch and the, the action news over this. OK. I'm saying I have rewatched this Macy's ad several times now, and it kills every time, no matter who you show it to. And there's even one part in there I got to point out where Mikey and Heidi are the arguing couple about the boots. And if you look, <laughs> the little girl is cracking up because she's, she's laughing at their lines. It's so funny to her, and they try, they try to hide it in the, in, the, in the show so you don't notice it. But if you look, the little girl is laughing so hard, even though she's supposed to be being, being, being yelled at. That was actually my favorite part of it. I agree. I agree. It was strong. I don't think I love it as much as you, but that I, that was one line that stood out. Just Mikey Day can be hit or miss for me sometimes. I do sometimes. I think I write, like him as a writer better mm-hmm. for the most part, but sometimes he really hits for me and <laughs> just the delivery. Daddy's a dumbass. <laughs> That's <laughs> the one the little girl is laughing at, by the way. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I had the same sense of humor as a, as a child. That's right. Well, okay, let's point this out. I think that is one of the greatest things they've done on SNL, they've done on the show this year. You thought it was good, but nothing special. Let's point out, how many children do you have? None. And I have two. So it's possible that parents who have lived through this crap with kids and their clothing really relate to the sketch. That could be true. Or maybe you just see things a little differently, like Jules. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Okay, so yeah, this to me, this episode was on fire. Right from the start, all three of those things. Then you have uh, the singing elves, which I wasn't really a fan of, but I know a lot of people were. Like, did you like that one? Nah, it didn't stick with me at all. I, I, I do. I kind of like, uh, I like Heidi as like the suburban white soccer mom. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. She, she fits good in that role, like with commenting on things. Okay. I don't know you're a Heidi fan. I, 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 I have such mixed feelings on Heidi. It hurts my heart. So I, 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 I am trying not to say anything this week. But I agree. She had an especially strong episode in this episode. But like the standout in that sketch is, you know, the choreographer, the flamboyant choreographer. Some might assume he might be a gay choreographer. Bowen, you playing him. I'm curious because Bowen is a really fascinating cast member to me this year and i hear such mixed reviews on him some people love him some people hate him some people think he is a star in the making he's going to take over the show some people are like everything he plays he's the same gay flamboyant stereotype it's i'm already tired of him where do you stand on bowen i'm curious so far so so good pretty much you know anything new is good and i know he can be seen as one note a lot um but i like his energy and i really like his line delivery not necessarily i don't really care for his um the the businessman on update mm-hmm. just his line delivery and sketches uh, like the um the train in in the previous episode that they, they redid the trainer audition sketch mm-hmm. and just his his amped up like trying to get everyone pumped delivery i appreciated that and his delivery as the news anchor in the grouch sketch um so far i'm a fan again he's a new energy i like i like everything he's done so far not not anything you know amazing, but solid so far for me. Yeah, uh, see, I would agree with you. I don't. I disagree with the people that say that he's going to be like this big future star. I don't see that. He's going to be too one note. But I do love his confidence when he comes out there. He is confident in his character. He knows exactly what he's going to say. He's very bold, and I like that energy. That's an energy you don't see a lot of with new cast members. So I really, and again, he was kind of there before. He's not really as new as someone like Chloe. But I I really like Bowen so far. So I have high hopes for him. Same. All right, so the rest of this episode, like, it starts strong, and so did the J-Lo episode, but this one, I think, is the difference, is different, because this one kept up the momentum for the most part, at least in my opinion. Like, what did you think? Did you think there was a lot of highlights in the second half of this episode? Yes. And there's one that was my favorite sketch of the, I wouldn't call it a sketch, it was a pre-tape, but of the episode, and we can get into that when it comes up. Oh, well, I'm guessing I know which one you're talking about. You're probably talking about I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Exactly. (laughs) With Mikey Day as the cuckolded husband watching. I loved everything about that. I thought, going into another one, I I took note, uh, the dead stripper hot tub ghosts. (laughs) I felt that went went on way too long, and that they have like a, kind of like a dartboard with various ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. And like they, they just like threw darts at different pieces of paper. One said like 1970s, one said hot tub, one said stripper, and the other said diarrhea. And they just kind of threw it together. <laughs> the song went on way too long. Whereas Cecily's, it was a full song, but it didn't go on. I loved every second of it. Okay. Yeah. It's, see, like in the J-Lo episode, when stuff didn't work in the second half, it didn't work hard. Like it was like that, that Wisconsin thing. Like, oh my God. 
But like the stuff that didn't work in this episode, I thought was just close enough that it probably could have worked for some people. Like I, I see a lot of people love that hot tub sketch. I didn't personally love it. I agree with you. It goes on too long, but it was a close enough idea that I think they almost pulled it off for me. I, could, I, I definitely could see some people liking it for sure. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hate it. Well, and like, like the Conway story, the Conway marriage story, like that's not my deal at all. I don't like the political humor, but like, I know a lot of people like that. And so I could just see this episode. I think there was a lot of positives in it, which is why I think this was probably, if not the best episode of the season, one of the best, like the Hallmark dating show wasn't really my favorite, but it was kind of like the Weezer sketch in a way. It's so specific to a certain audience that's going to love that sketch that I can appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one was okay for me as well. Uh, I enjoyed Chris Red as the one black man in Caucasia. <laughs> uh, I expected him to say that is whack any minute. <laughs> yeah, so like a lot of the stuff in the Scarlett Johansson was this very specific to a very specific audience. But uh, just overall, from what I saw, most people really liked this episode. And I would heartily agree. I would easily give this a thumbs up. I think it's a strong episode. Even at the end, they had the uh, like the dog translator. Like it, it wasn't great, but it was funny enough that it worked for me just because it was so absurd. And the, uh, the, the celebrity sighting, the choking poster couple. Like that wasn't a great sketch, but there's enough laughs in it just from Bowen imitating the poster when they're giving the doing the pictures. Like there's enough in almost every sketch that I could see this worked for somebody. I could see that too. And you know, they they were different. You know, it felt like it, it I couldn't think of a sketch that was similar to a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Even though the dog translator is literally they did that before and like Willie, is it Willie? The uh the office apology where Keenan's the the guy that sexually harasses everybody but it gets he gets away with it cuz he's charming. That I've seen. Yeah, of course. I do remember that before. But again, Keenan sells it. It works for me just because Keenan's awesome. Yes. Now, there's only one more thing I want to talk about in this episode. Like, and again, just to reiterate one more time, I think every single sketch in this episode worked for somebody. And that's, I think, is very important because that's what they have said over the years in SNL, that every sketch shouldn't appeal to everybody. They want, you know, it to bounce around. This appeals to someone, then to someone, then to someone. And that's why I think the Scarlett Johansson episode was exceptionally strong, just because everything appealed to somebody. But I do want to get your opinion on one thing, because this sure. this divides many people that I've seen. Kyle Mooney as Baby Yoda. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Um, I thought it was weird seeing Kyle do like a character that that I like in costume. Um, I thought it was OK. I kind of wish they went darker. Like it was just OK for me. It would have been funnier if it got going really dark. <laughs> if it was like Bruce Chandling Yoda, whatever his name is, Chandling, I forget his name, but I, yeah. So you wanted awkward, failed stand-up comic Yoda who's about to put his head in the oven. Yes. <laughs> yeah. See, the, the baby Yoda thing didn't work for me at all, but like a lot of people seem to like it, and I know, but it just, it, it just seemed to me like they could have done something a little better with that concept because the baby Yoda is so big right now, and I'm like... That really, that's the best they did with him. But that's like one of the rare misfires from Kyle, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm ready for Kyle to, um, you know, mosey on to something else. Now, did you ever like Kyle? At the beginning, yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily love him and Beck's like uh, pre-tape stuff mm -hmm. from their from their days prior to SNL. That could be hit or miss for me. I liked him. I liked Kyle out on the street, like interviewing people, being awkward, stuff like that. I was never a super fan, mm -hmm. but you know. Now, it's not always his fault. It's just they don't really know what to do with him, I think. I'm going to give a very controversial opinion here. You may you may be a receptive ear to this, but some people might not like this. This is where I get accused of being salty, by the way. Do you know why I think the Scarlett Johansson episode works so well? Because there wasn't much Kate and 80 in it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Melissa. I wouldn't do that to you with Melissa. Okay. But that has been one of the gripes that we have talked about, even with when Joni had brought it up as well, that when Kate and 80 are on there, it's basically the Kate and 80 show. And it doesn't really fit the rest of the show. It's like they're just trying to make each other laugh. This, epi this episode in particular, there wasn't much of them. And that's why, perhaps why I found it very refreshing and new. And it felt like it had a different energy just because it wasn't their stuff clogging up the show. Yeah. And I've got, I, I don't think I realized it. I think you probably made me realize it. Like, that's my opinion as well. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I realized it until you started. You're an influencer. <laughs> you, you saw things a little bit differently. <laughs> and now so do I. <laughs> well, I can't turn you on, Melissa. Although I will say, at the start of the year, I was like, there's three people, I'm, or four people I'm kind of tired of on the show. I'm like Pete Davidson, Cecily, Kate, and 80. And I will say that Kate and 80 have kind of separated themselves into their own little thing this year. It has made me appreciate Cecily more. 
I'm like, you know what? I should not have lumped her in with him because she's very strong in her own way. So it's, it's in a way, it's made me really appreciate Cecily this year because, like, in like you said, this uh, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. She was great in that. Yeah, and and in the previous episode with the the trainer sketch, her energy as well it matched matched to Bowen. I think they were the top two yeah. in that in that sketch. I I have completely come around on Cecily. So I know there's a lot of Cecily lovers out there. You can now count me as having turned back into your into your uh, team here that I'm team Cecily. But again, that is my hot take that the reason this Scarlett Johansson was episode was so strong is because we kind of took out the two that kind of dragged the show to a halt a lot of the time. So you and you were right. So I'm definitely receptive. It's not a hot take to me. Definitely agree. Okay. And now we come to the big one, the Eddie Murphy episode, which even knowing that it aired and I watched it, I still find it surreal that it actually happened. And it's got to be, I mean, just as surreal for you because you just watched this whole history of SNL. Yeah. And I, again, like I said earlier, I loved, I loved him on the show. He just, such a presence. I can't think of a, a sketch that he did that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> there, there may have been one. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah. Eddie Murphy, I have to go on a little uh, soliloquy here and uh, say when I was a kid my dad introduced me to SNL I was like it was like 1982 83 and they would rerun the old episodes the original cast on Nick at Night and my dad would say this is the greatest show you got to watch this so I was introduced to really edgy dark you know hip comedy at a very young age but there was a huge asterisk next to that is that my parents hated Eddie Murphy because he was on the current show and they liked the original Eddie was a little too raw a little too you know, hardcore for even the original fans of the show. So there was a very strict rule in my house as a kid when I'm, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. Eddie Murphy on SNL is never allowed in this house ever because he's too dirty. Right. Which, of course, meant I would seek out any Eddie Murphy sketch I could just because it's forbidden fruit at this point. <laughs> so this is the story of my history with Eddie Murphy. He was the greatest thing on SNL, but he was so forbidden in my house because my parents hated his guts. And I was like, I was not not allowed to watch R-rated movies. And Eddie Murphy is like the king of the R-rated stand-up and these 80s movies. So I have a very mixed history with him. And then he his, uh, his VHS, the best of Eddie Murphy tape came out, which to this day is still probably the best SNL collection I've ever seen. Have you seen that? No. Yeah, that's that's where I was introduced to a lot of his stuff. Okay. But that is fantastic. So I grew up with that, and I know Eddie Murphy, and again, the guy that saved SNL, probably the most important, the biggest cast member of all time, who quickly became the biggest movie star of his era, and just was the biggest, you know, the biggest celebrity in the world, and then just kind of gave it up after a while because he'd done everything. So, so fascinating to see him come back on SNL, and that was, like, what were your thoughts on Eddie Murphy coming back before the episode happened? I... My expectations were in the middle. I didn't want to get them too high, you know, with again my, my opinion on the current era of SNL. I was just going in with, you know, I'm going to try to enjoy this as best I can. Yeah, it's I was I was expecting a disaster, to be quite frank. I know last year because Eddie was like the last holdout, the one guy who had never hosted SNL. And I'm like, I would always say on Twitter, I really hope he never hosts SNL. I do not want Eddie Murphy associated with this era. That was how low I was in this era. And I'm like, I'd have more respect for him if he never hosts. And I got some flack for that. And then he decided to host. And I'm like, oh, wait, here we go. So I had to temper my expectations because, again, I know every Eddie Murphy sketch that he would ever did. I could quote them like uh, <laughs> just off the top of my head. Kill the white people, with Tyrone Green and his reggae band. One of my favorite <laughs> sketches in SNL history. And so this became the game between me and older people that grew up with Eddie. What the hell is he going to bring back to SNL that worked in the 80s but, but would not work today? And, like, the obvious one is Buckwheat. There's no way he's doing Buckwheat, the minstrel from our gang, in 2019. And I was, to be honest, shocked that that showed up. Yeah, they they definitely did, like, the best of Eddie Murphy. Um, it was, like, a, a comforting, like, you know, like, throwback. And just his presence, for sure, carried the day in a lot of this episode. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed all, all the characters that they brought back. They didn't do anything too edgy, you know. Um, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah, okay, so I have a couple mixed thoughts on the Eddie Murphy show. Now, first off, universally, it was seen as a success. Would you agree with that? Everyone thought, okay, they did a good job. That was a good episode. Yeah. Okay, and it was like a celebration of Eddie. And, like, I really haven't seen any negative reviews of it. Have you? No. All right, and they will not come from us. I will not do that either. But two things. I First off, it was adorable watching Eddie Murphy slowly gain momentum and confidence as the episode went along. Like, it was almost painful at the start in Mr. Robinson watching him struggle to tie his shoes. I'm like, oh, my God, I do not want to see Eddie Murphy fail at Mr. Robinson. 
but he pulled it off. And then as the episode went along, he got more and more confident. And then by the time he hit Gumby, I'm like, my God, Eddie's back in full speed at this point. And then the last sketch with the polar bear, which wasn't my favorite sketch, but I loved his energy just because he's doing full on donkey voice. Yeah. Yeah. So that my, that's my original thought. The episode, I don't think it was great. I do think it was good. It was not a disaster. I loved watching Eddie's energy go throughout the episode and get stronger and stronger and stronger. But I will say this just to do a little dissent here. We watched that episode with my daughter. My daughter is 19 years old, didn't grow up with Eddie Murphy, has no idea who he is other than he was in a couple Shrek movies. Her stance was, I don't get why this stuff is so funny. I don't get why Buckwheat's funny. I don't really get Mr. Robinson. Why, why is he a big deal? So there may be a little generational gap in this, and that is why I think I do not think this episode will go down as like an all-time great. I see a lot of people talking about it as an all-time great. I don't think that's how it's going to be remembered, but I do think it was a success. I agree with all that. To me, it was just more of an Eddie Murphy showcase in a good way. But, you know, again, I don't like you said, I don't think it's going to be completely remembered going down the line. Yeah, there, there's a uh, one of my one of my friends on Twitter. Her name is Ruby. She recaps SNL. I'll give a shout out to Ruby. She posted an interesting poll question after the Eddie Murphy episode. She's like, you know, everybody loves this episode. And I'm curious. She's like, did you like this episode more or the Adam Sandler last season episode more? And what was interesting, I think in her poll, it was like 50 50. And she was kind of shocked because she was like she was so high on Eddie Murphy. She thought it would run away. But I would have voted for the Adam Sandler episode personally. So I'm just curious what how you would vote on that poll. Uh, before you even brought that up, I was going to compare the two um, just because I know Adam Sandler was the other big get. I would go with Sandler, I, I think, which was more of a surprise for me because I wasn't a huge Sandler fan on the show. Uh-huh. He, he had, you know, a couple here and there uh, sketches that I enjoyed and some characters, but not, you know, he wasn't like this, the strength of the show to me. And he came back and he, he worked like he worked so well. He was great and everything. Yeah. I mean, he won you over, finally. For sure, yes. I'm sure he was worried. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out, because I would have voted for Sandler over Murphy in those. And at the time, I liked Eddie Murphy much more than Sandler. I think the Sandler episode was stronger. It's really interesting, because when I watched the Eddie Murphy episode, like at the end of the night, I'm like, okay, they treated Eddie Murphy with respect. They showed him dignity. They brought out his strengths. They treated the legend like a legend. But I'm looking at my notes here, and I write down the list of the sketches, and I circle the ones that I think were especially good. I only circled four things in the Eddie Murphy episode as being outstanding, which kind of surprises me now. Yeah, I'd say I don't know if I have a certain number of ones that really like work for me. I have to think about it, but it sounds about right. Four-ish. And unfortunately, we got to talk about the elephant in the room that they you know, kill the momentum of this episode with an 11 minute debate sketch with celebrity cameos at the start. Why? Why did they? Have, I know. I understand people say, well, you know, Trump got impeached and there was a Democratic debate. They had to do that. But like. It's the Eddie Murphy episode. Did you really have to devote one seventh of your show to that sketch? That that killed me, Mike. I know that that sucked. Um, with with cameos, if they're gonna do it, I'd rather them have former cast members like Sidakis, Armisen, and Dratch. But yeah, I'm you know typically to be honest. A lot of times I will fast forward the cold opens. I'll give them like with any sketch, I'll give them a minute or two, yeah. and then I'm, I'm just I'm I'm out. Um, Stroll broke the camel's back for me was Maya Rudolph popping at the end. <laughs> I like she's out of the race and she's still here. <laughs> Please. Well, we're, so that's the thing. Nobody's going to change anybody else's opinion on these cold open debate sketches. I hate them to no end because I they're not going to be replayable in 10 years. They're going to rerun this and nobody will care. It's going to look horrible. But like I know some people love them. So it's like I don't even want to bother. But it just it bothered me so much that they had to put this in the Eddie Murphy episode. Like you only get this guy once. He's probably never going to host again. So that's my biggest gripe. But then we go through the episode, and again, like the monologue, it was a nice tribute to him. Like, I didn't really love it or hate it, although it was nice to see his Cosby impression. I love his Cosby impression. Yeah, I love the shot at Cosby. It was funny. (laughs) Were there any Eddie Murphy characters you really wanted to see and you were surprised didn't make an appearance? Surprised didn't make? Yeah, okay. What are your, if you could name two, any two things you wanted to see that didn't happen? Uh, James Brown. James Brown. That was my number one. Yeah, the hot tub. It kills me (laughs) (laughs) every time. Um I, I wanted to see a Solomon and Pudge sketch uh-huh. with Piscopo just because, I mean, I knew Piscopo wasn't going to be on it, but it would have been nice to see. And Joe Piscopo, to remind our viewers, that's who you claim is the better version of Phil Hartman. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say better, but, you know, <laughs> I, he, I, when he started out on the show, he did a lot of like crazy characters and then he kind of morphed into the uh, more the more straight man. Um, 
Phil Hartman was just kind of that straight man for the most part, if I remember correctly. You know what's funny is I would agree with you. I love Joe Piscopo on SNL. When I, like, when I was growing up as a kid and we watched these Eddie Murphy sketches, I'm like, that guy is as good as Eddie Murphy. Like, they were, they were a team. So, like, I right. will agree with you in the sense that I really, really love Joe Piscopo, even though we're getting way off topic. But I will defend the Pisk man to his dying day. Also because, I should point out, Johnny Dangerously, one of my favorite movies, and Joe and Joe Piscopo steals that movie from Michael Keaton, of all people. So there you go. Yeah, and I love Phil Hartman. It's, you know, I just, if I had to pick, I think, I think now, now that you've called me out on having a horrible opinion, I think I would go with Piscopo in an all-star cast over him. Okay. I have to look at, the, look at the numbers. I think there's a good argument you could make for that that most people would disagree with, but I will stand by. I will. I know you see things a little differently, Jules. I will defend your right to have bad opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so this Eddie episode, there was a couple standouts, like the Holiday Baking Championship, which was <laughs> funny for Eddie dropping an S-bomb on live TV. Good job, Eddie. That was great. Yeah. The Mr. Robinson, like... He didn't have the same energy as before, but I appreciated that he could pull it off and like the idea was funny. They actually wrote it as if it was written in 82. I mean, it felt like the same spirit, even though Eddie was not quite locked into character as much. Yeah, I do. I love this. I do crack up every time he does a surprise face <laughs> right into the camera whenever there's a knock on the door. Yeah. <laughs> it gets me every time. My wife will crack up every time he does this. Who is it? And he starts screaming. <laughs> Who's at my door? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love his little like light wave to the camera to follow him. That's great. Well, by the way, I can I can specify the one moment in Mr. Robinson history my parents banned Eddie Murphy from my house for life. It was an episode in '82 or something where Eddie was Mr. Robinson was explaining how babies are made, and he said that a man and a woman go in the back seat of a car, and the man gives the woman five dollars. <laughs> and my mom said, "My eight-year-old son is never watching this person ever again." <laughs> so, Mr. Robinson, to thank for that. So, now Buckwheat, the mass singer. I hate to blaspheme. I don't think that worked at all. I didn't like that. Well, I, I mean, I liked the singing. I, I just like Buckwheat singing. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was a creative way to bring him on, give, like in a modern way. I'd never seen The Masked Singer. I don't really care about it. Um, you know, it didn't, it wasn't hilarious. But again, another Eddie Murphy showcase that was, you know, just kind of there, but I enjoyed it. You know, the one person I really wanted Eddie to do and who I thought he was underneath that ear of corn, I thought he was going to be Stevie Wonder at first. Oh, that would have been, so much better. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I was shocked they brought back Buckwheat, but I didn't really think it worked, even though, you know, the audience loved it and everything. Like, it was a big deal. But, like, I think if he'd done Stevie Wonder, it would have been funnier, personally. But, again, who am I? Right. Okay. So, we got a pre-tape here. The Home for the Holidays. One of the four things that I circled in the Eddie episode that I thought was really good. Although, again, we've seen that before. And, I, I like, I hate to say that. I really thought it was well done. I thought it was funny. I like the white son-in-law, Mikey Day. But, like... They do this one of these every year now for Christmas, and like I, I'm kind of over it. Well, even though it's very well done, we've seen this idea before. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Matt Damon and Cecily Strong yeah. with their kids. And so that's the thing. Even though it was very well done and Eddie was good in it, it wasn't really an Eddie Murphy vehicle. Like Anybody could have played that host. So that's that's why like I circled this as one of the four things, but I feel kind of bad because it's not really Eddie-specific. Yeah, and, and it was okay. Like you said, we've seen it. Uh, the one thing I did like was you mentioned in Mikey Day as the, the white son-in-law pretending to be nice and then his reaction to the to their mattress deflating this sucks <laughs> that that, yeah. that got me. although i will never not laugh at the very end where mikey day says something like i love you dad and eddie just has that grin yeah <laughs> 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 okay that was good now now it's really interesting the thing that i thought worked the best in the eddie murphy episode is the thing that i was the least looking forward to and that was gumby I personally don't really love Gumby because it's kind of a one-note character. It's just Eddie screaming in this Jewish voice. But, like, for some reason it really worked in this Weekend Update, and he just kept improvising, and he was like, it was like the old Eddie Murphy. In my opinion, that was the closest he came all night to Eddie Murphy in his prime on SNL, and I just, I, I could not get enough of that. I wanted him to keep doing Gumby for, like, five more minutes. I agree, and I actually love Gumby, like, even going back to the to the 80s. Um, I, it's just, uh, it just looks ridiculous in the, in the, in the costume when, when he had his face painted back in the eighties, he didn't do it this time, but just, I love Gumby as a working actor, like a prima donna actor. Just the whole idea just, just cracks me up. Well, you know, green face is not okay anymore, Mike. But, yeah, no, it's not. That's why they had to nix it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just have to point out like some of the stuff behind why Eddie Murphy became a star. The fact that. Eddie Murphy is like 19 or 20 years old in 1981, and he decides he's going to play Gumby on an SNL episode, but he decides he's going to make Gumby an old Jewish man. 
Like, where did that idea come from? I just love the randomness behind that. And again, this personally was my favorite Eddie Murphy bit. This was really like watching Eddie in his prime. So I just, I really like that. And that, of course, capped an entire whole great weekend update where, you know, they read each other's jokes, which is always a highlight. Yeah. And with Gumby, I, I love, I felt like a lot of it felt um, unplanned for Che and Jost. But like uh, they were just cracking up the whole time. Like uh, just some of the delivery he he said, I smoke, he brings up the cigar, I smoke a cigar, I smoke a cigar. And then he's, he's going to leave and you could tell because they, they panned Jost. He's like, I'm staying here. Don't pat me, you bastard, I'm staying. And they just, they lose it. It's just like he just decides to ad-lib and they just, they're such fans of him that they lose That's right. it. I love that. The magic of Eddie Murphy reared its head for a little bit right there, and they just loved it. That was a that was great TV. And of course, you have to follow that with Pete Davidson talking about his his mental woes. Like, oh, oh. who made the decision to put that there? Oh, it should have been before, if anything. I I I actually used to like Pete on Update as like resident young person, just his comments. Before he got on the show, I, I looked when he was cast. I looked up his stand up. He was like a he was like a twenty year old old man like with a take on life which can be understandable given his past but like it cracked me up like you stand up just his delivery and he just seems so bitter (laughs) and i like that on weekend update now it's just uncomfortable at this point for me yeah and it's funny because you pointed that out in the scarlett johansson uh monologue that the show was getting kind of meta and it's like a frustrated writer talking about the woes of the show putting them into the monologue here you had Pete Davidson doing the same thing. Oh, I know everybody hates me, and I know I'm ruining the Eddie Murphy episode for you. Like, they actually put that in the show, which is what a lot of people were thinking. Yeah, and I hated it. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder, Pete. I appreciate it. <laughs> Although, let's talk about another questionable, you know, structure choice. That we end Weekend Update with Che and Jost giving, doing each other's jokes, which is always kills. That's always the funniest part of the Weekend Update. And they don't even end update with that. They're like, now we're going to go with Janine Pirro, the judge, which that seems a very questionable choice. One of those should be before the other one. It shouldn't be the other way around. Yeah. Uh, do they do they ever end with just the two or the anchor, though? Is it, is it usually like a, a character? I thought they always end with them. Okay. I could be wrong. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I think so. I agree. That I mean, that was okay. I, I love the, the Jost and Jay writing sketches for each other. Uh, I do have to point out just some that I loved uh, in particular. We didn't touch a lot on, on them throughout the episodes. They Che is probably number three for mm-hmm. me uh, behind Dennis Miller and Norm McDonald for update. If I could only pick one person to keep on the show, it would probably be Che. Mm-hmm. I know he doesn't do sketches, but I just love him enough on update. Some of the lines just like uh, Jost, he has to use a bat to keep his neighborhood white. <laughs> Jost implying that Che has herpes to cure cancer. And then my favorite, it wins the day. Che wins the day, which he usually does for me when he has uh, Gary Richardson, the writer who I think should be a cast member. I think he has a presence about him holding Joseph's cue cards. And he's, he's pissed because Gary Richardson's black. I can't work like this. Merry Christmas, homeboy. You're fired. <laughs> that just, I, I lost it. I lost Did you it. see the joke that was actually written on the cue card? I didn't know something about uh, Harriet Tubman escaped or like, I forget the Harriet Tubman movie was released. And then the white people immediately captured her or something. <laughs> oh my God. I have to go back and watch this. That's yeah, fantastic. But I agree with you. Michael Che, I love. He was he is personally my second favorite weekend update of all time behind Norm MacDonald. And I personally think he's the only real dangerous cast member they've had in a long time, except for maybe Will Forte at his peak or maybe Andy Samberg. But Che, I believe, I just think is awesome. So I'm right there with you that if they only had to keep one person, I think he gives such an edge to that show that I think they really desperately need. So I, I'm right there with you. Cool. All right. So. Again, logistically, I can see maybe why they ended with Janine Pirro, because it's going to end with Colin Jost getting wine vomited into his mouth. So it's possible you don't want to end a joke. You don't want to do jokes after that. As the SNL historians would know, with Norm MacDonald once tried to follow Will Ferrell vomiting with a joke, and he did not do very well. <laughs> There's a deep dive. Okay, so then the, that's the end of the Eddie Murphy episode. Basically, like Velvet Jones, I don't think worked at all. I mean, God bless him for trying. I just don't think it worked. The North Pole News... I love because of Eddie's energy. Like it really wasn't that funny an idea for a sketch. Like that would be a forgettable 10 to one sketch with anybody else. But just seeing Eddie Murphy full on screaming donkey voice. I I love seeing that. But again, that wasn't the strongest sketch. That was just all Eddie. Yeah. I feel like there are people like that on news, like, like being interviewed by news anchors who would just like take over, take over the whole process. So it felt, it felt kind of true to life to me, which is kind of funny. 
I don't matter what my name is. <laughs> Ended up being Kittle Diddles, which was a tickle me. It's kind of like how you came over and took over Joni's spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, so anyway, I give the Eddie Murphy episode a thumbs up if for no other reason than it wasn't a disaster. And I really was worried it was going to be. So I'm very happy they treated him with respect. It worked. It was a good episode. I do not feel it was as strong as the Scarlett Johansson one, though. But I know a lot of people will debate me. But again, I'm really happy that it happened. And it was just a it was a very special, magical night for a lot of people. So I'm glad it happened. Same. And, and like I said, I, I went into it somewhat hopeful. So I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we both came out of the month I actually came out. I think I came out of this at the end of this podcast. I'm thinking that I enjoyed the month more than I thought I had. Oh, now going over oh. it. I am an influencer. I influenced you again. There you go. <laughs> Even though there was hardly any Melissa in that last episode. That's fine. Again, she's not, she's not the star. I just, I like her on Instagram. All right. Her <laughs> stories are great. Okay. And that is our uh, December recap here on SNL after party. We'd like to thank you guys for listening to us. Um, I don't know where the show is going to go from here. Even though I think December had a very strong month on SNL, it doesn't give me a lot of confidence for the rest of the season. I just happen to think they got a lucky string of episodes, personally. But, again, I'm kind of salty and a pessimist, and I will be more than happy if they continue this string and keep going. But, again, this was the best month of the season by far, I think, and I don't even know if that's really debatable. Yeah, I agree. Do you know who's hosting next? One of my favorites. Do you know? Adam Driver. I do, and and the musical guest, if she's in any sketches, should be solid too. Halsey. Oh, Halsey's back. Okay, Adam Driver, I personally think is the best new SNL host of the past ten years. He's amazing. He could be a cast member. He could. He could be a cast member. Every he's done it twice now, and he has Star Killer base, and then he had Abraham Parnassus the Career Day. He has like legendary sketches in both of his appearances so far. So I'm I'm really expecting big things from him. I'm. I hope Joni comes down with something else and that and, and everyone on your list says no. And then I'm back here Aww. to discuss it. <laughs> the wonderful season's greetings from Mike Feeney wishing illness on Joni Newman. <laughs> Sorry, Joni. This is how Lou Gehrig became famous. Wally Pipp got sick. Lou Gehrig took over for the Yankees. 1920s became the first baseman for the next 20 years. So <laughs> maybe someday I'll get like a really uh, famous disease named after me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, uh, just a one quick plug before we sign up. I do want to say, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my name is Mario Lanza. My Twitter address is Mario J. Lanza, at Mario J. Lanza. I just, on December 31st, put out a list. I spent a lot of time coming up with my list of my favorite, what was it, favorite 50 sketches of the 2010s of the decade. And I put it, I posted it on Twitter, and I, I put a lot of thought into it, everything from 2010 to 2019. If you want to read my list and comment on it, I, I spent a lot of time putting it together. And I will spoil you right now and say my top three of the 2010s were uh, Daryl's House with Zach Galifianakis, which is my favorite of the decade, Jack Sparrow, number two, with Michael Bolton. And my number three is our future host, Adam Driver, Starkiller Base, the, uh, the undercover boss. Those are my favorite three of the 2010s. All very solid. And I look forward to reading it. Anyway, uh, again, thank you guys for listening. Again, I am Mario Lanza. I'm Michael Feeney. And thanks for listening, and we will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.